I did some reflecting this week and did some adding in my head and came to the conclusion that I have been a Christ follower now for 23 years. I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ when I was 20 years old. And I've been pastoring churches now for 21 years. When right before I, right after I turned 22, I moved to Ames, Iowa. I started a church there in a college town. I was there for about five years. Moved to Paulden County for a year for an internship. Moved here, started a church that was there for five years. And I've been here about nine years now. And so Christ follower for 23 years. Pastor for 21 years. At different times in my life, some of my best friends in the world have been some of the probably most popular or most known pastors around. Some of the people that you watch on YouTube or you watch on Facebook or you listen to their podcast. I've been in their homes and I've traveled with them because in a previous life, I traveled all the time speaking all over the country. I would preach on Sunday. I'd get on a plane Monday morning. I'd fly out and I'd preach at conferences with these guys. And so I've rolled around with some of the biggest names in the Christian industry or the Christian calling or whatever you want to call it. And I can stand up here with the utmost confidence, and I can stand up here with the utmost integrity, and I can stand up here today with the utmost honesty, and while it might shock some of you, and while it might offend some of you, and while it will probably be one of those things that gets taken out of context and somebody will pull the clip and it'll go viral and think I'm attacking everyone, I can say this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Pastors are some of the fakest people in the world. It's just reality. I, I don't think they're fake because they're bad. I don't think they're fake because they even intentionally try to be fake. But for whatever reason, we've created this culture where pastors are set up on this pedestal, and instead of worshiping Jesus, we worship the pastor. We think he can do no wrong. We think he or she has the answer to every question we're asking. We think that she or he are the perfect parents, have the perfect marriage, have the perfect finances. They know how to handle every situation that needs to be handled. And what happens is, is all across our country, we have pastors who feel like they have to get up on the stage on Sunday morning, and they have to act like they have it all together because they want the people in the seats to look at them like they have it all together because for some reason we think if we don't have it all together, it nullifies the truth that we're preaching. The reality is this. This book is full of truth. This book is truth. The mess of the messenger does not negate the message of the book. I remember the first church I ever worked at. I gave my life to Christ. I got hired by a church over in Cumming. I, was, I got saved in that church. And after they hired me, literally about three weeks after they hired me, the pastor was diagnosed with leukemia. And they gave him months to live. And it shook the church, and it was this rough time in, in the period of the church. And I, I literally watched this man 
preach his own funeral. He knew that he had a limited time. He got up and he preached his own funeral. And he was an amazing man. He taught me so much about ministry. He taught me so much that at the end of the day, that, that no matter what you do, it's about Jesus. He loved Jesus, and he loved telling people about Jesus. And, and I watched him get up on stage, and he was a powerful person. He was a powerful person of faith. Yet he would get up on stage and act like he had this unwaverable faith when it came to his leukemia. He would get up on stage and talk big and talk bold and talk like he doesn't fear death and he's not afraid. And he would get up and he would talk about like he was just this amazing person who did not fear leukemia. And you would sit out on the seats and the reality is you would question your own faith because you didn't feel like you had faith like he did. But the reality was behind closed doors, yes, he was a person of faith. Yes, he believed in God's healing power. Yes, he believed God was going to get him through. But behind closed doors, he was also a person who was afraid of what the disease was going to do to him. He was a person who was afraid of how his death was going to impact his wife and how his death was going to impact his children. Behind closed doors, he was a person who would call me at all hours of the night because he couldn't sleep, fearful of his last breath here. He, he was even a person behind closed doors that at certain times would call me or talk to me. We would go do lunch or I'd be in the hospital with him and he would look at me and say, Gary, do you really think everything we've preached is real? He had moments where he doubted. He had moments where he didn't have faith. He had moments where he was human. And I always thought to myself, how, how much more powerful would it have been had he got up on stage and let people know, hey, there's times that I have doubts. There's times that I struggle. Because what would happen is you would sit out in the seats and you would question your faith and say, man, I, I must not believe in God because I don't have that type of faith. I would watch them around people and I, I would watch these people leave these meetings and feel like they weren't good Christians because they would see this unshakable man and it's so easy to be unshakable for 30 minutes on stage. But behind closed doors, he was the same as you and I. From that experience, I decided early on that if God ever gave me the honor of being in ministry, that I would just be as real as I knew how to be. I don't do fake really well. I, I, I just don't do putting on charm and being something I'm not really well. And I decided early on that if I ever had the honor of pastoring, I was going to talk about all the victories in my life, but I was also going to talk about all the failures in my life just as equal. And I knew that going into that, that would upset some people. And I knew that that would make it not the church for everybody. But I was okay with that because here's the deal. I wanted the people, whoever it was that God sent to the church that I pastored, to know, hey, yes, I'm your pastor. And yes, I'm trying the best I can to lead you in a spiritual direction, but I'm as screwed up as you are. I just thought it would connect with people. And as you can tell from the screwed up crowd we have, it seems to have connected with people. I have no problem celebrating victories, and I think we ought to celebrate victories, and there's times I get up on the stage and say, hey, blah, 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 ABC, blah, blah, blah. I'm really good in this area. And there's other times I get up on stage and say, blah, 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 ABC, one, two, three, blah, blah, puke, puke, whatever, and man, hey, 
I'm preaching this to you, but I don't know that I do so good at living it out. I, I, I want to always be a pastor who confesses his faults to you because I don't want to ever come across like I have it all together. Because that way, and I, I might have done that too much because any time that I screw up around here or someone accuses me of screwing up, our church is kind of like, <laughs> yeah, that's Gary. Like, no, nothing seems to shock any of you. <laughs> yeah, that's Gary. That's probably right. You know, he's screwed up. He's our pastor. You know. But the Bible says this in James 5. It says, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The Bible says that we're to confess the areas that we screw up in, our areas of, of pride, our areas of arrogance, our areas of um, unforgiveness, our areas of anger, whatever it is, we're to confess our faults one to another so we can pray for one another so that we can be healed. Healed of what? Of our faults. The only way you're ever going to get victory, and you're never going to get complete victory on this side of heaven, hello, but the only way you're ever going to begin the process of growing and the process of moving on and the process of dealing with the areas that you struggle in is to bring those things that are in darkness out into light and the healing process begins. We're flawed. We're screwed up. There's nobody perfect. If there's no church that is perfect because the people who go to the church are imperfect, if you find the perfect church, don't join us. You'll screw it up. Pastors are not perfect. I could tell you story after story after story of some of your favorite pastors. I won't, but I could. That's why when I went through so much stuff, a lot of them went really silent. Because it's hard to point out someone else's flaws when you know all their flaws. And that's okay. It's okay to be flawed. I talked about this a few weeks ago. We're flawed, and that's why we need Jesus. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. But what we're doing this month is we're just doing a series where I'm confessing some things to you. Because I figure if there are areas that I struggle with, then there are probably a really good chance that there are areas that you struggle with. And maybe you even feel guilty that you struggle in these areas because there's some big areas of struggle. And maybe you feel like, man, if I was to tell people how I feel about that and I struggle in that area, I don't know how people would react to me. And last week I confessed to you, I really don't like to pray. And if you just hear that context, boy, it sounds really, really bad. Matter of fact, I saw somebody posted on Facebook who doesn't go to our church, and they posted a screenshot of our podcast. And I was like, what kind of church? Blah, 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 blah. And I wanted to be like, God, do you know how much stuff I know about you? <laughs> you know, but that's cool. Because people love to take stuff out of context, and they love to post stuff. And so, you know, that was, that was the rallying cry this week. The church doesn't believe in prayer. Or you could take 45 minutes out of your pathetic life and listen to the sermon. But that, 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 finding out facts is too, too, too much work. So it also let me know that we were doing what we accomplished because we kind of wanted to bring a little bit of shock value to this series. I don't know what's Gary confessing. Because I've heard some horrible things about Gary. There's no telling what he could be confessing. Very intrigued. Who needs reality TV when you have Gary? <laughs> so told you last week, I said, I struggle with prayer. And a lot of you understood that. But I also told you, hey, here's some steps that I do to overcome that. So that one was kind of a shocker, but it wasn't a huge one, you know. But today, this one I really struggled with. I really debated about being honest about this one because as a pastor, man, I really, 
wasn't sure how to do this, but I kept going back to that story of my pastor and having those doubts. And I said, man, I can relate to that sometimes. And here's my confession to you today. There's times when I doubt God. There's times when I, Gary Lamb, the lead pastor of Action Church, doubt God. There's times that I question God. There's times I do not understand what God's doing, and I don't like what God's doing. There's times that things happen in people's lives, and I just don't get how God could allow that to happen. I understand some things. I understand that God is in control. I understand that everything works out good for those who love God. I get it. I don't need you to preach those verses to me. Trust me, I get it. I understand that God sees the big picture, and so many times we don't see the big picture. I get all of that. But in spite of all that, there's times I doubt God. I just don't understand what he's thinking. I just don't understand why certain things are happening. I used to be that guy that used to make deals with God. Anybody ever made deals with God? I used to be a deal maker. You know, hey God, if I get that raise, I'm going to start tithing. Now God, that really makes no sense because I can't tithe on the little bit I make now, so I don't know why I would tithe on the big amount that I'm going to make, but hey, I'm going to deal with you, God. Give me that raise. You know. Hey, God, I get that A on my report card, man. I'll, I'll stop doing that. Stop doing this. You know. Hey, God, if I wake up and that crooked picture over my bed is straight, I'll know you're real. Like sometimes you're making deals with God. I got to see it. You know, I need some proof sometimes. I I thought that was me being fair. Hey, God, all you got to do is what I'm asking, and you got me for life. Hey, God, I'm down with you as long as I like what you're doing. When things are good, God, whoo, boom. But yeah, it's funny. Things get bad. I don't understand what's up. God, let's just have it. I don't even know if there's a God. Oh, so he's God in the good times, but he's not God in the bad times. We doubt God. It's easy to be down with God when my relationships are good. It's easy to be down with God when there's money in the bank. It's easy to be down with God, and I don't know what this is like. I've heard rumors that there's a a world that exists like this, but it's not part of Gary's world. But but it's easy to be down with God when, like, there's no drama in your life. Like, I've heard that is like, it's like kind of like the unicorn, if you see it. Like, you have a drama-free life, take a picture of that person. Like, like I want to experience, I want to interview that person. Like an alien, I want to study them. But it's easy to be down with God when everything is like, I think it ought to be. But God forbid something happened that wasn't part of my plan, wasn't part of how I think it should be. If things don't go the way I want them to go, And so what would happen is I'd make these deals with God and they wouldn't happen and it would cause me to doubt God. (laughs) And here I am now, I've been in full-time ministry, what I tell you, 21 years, and yet there's still times I doubt God. I gotta be honest with you, when I walk into a family of someone I love 
And they asked me to go pray over their loved one who has cancer, who I know is about to pass on. I take a real strong face in front of them. I say all the things I'm supposed to say because that's my job and because it's what I'm supposed to do, and it's not about my doubt at that time. It's about encouraging them. And I believe everything I tell them, but I get out to my car, and before I crank the car, i got to be real honest with you, I doubt God a little bit. God, why would you allow that to happen? God, they just met. They just got together. God, they just had a kid. God, why? I, I, I don't get it, God. Why would you allow that to happen to them? I, I just don't know, God. I got to be honest with you. When I come across a couple who can't have kids and they've been trying, and man, you know they'd be great parents. And I see some little crackhead, and that offends you too bad because I love crackheads. So, God, I love them so much I can say it. And if I can't say it to you, we're probably not the church for you. But when I see a crackhead who's more interested in their addiction than taking care of their child, I just got to be real honest with you. I question God why this couple can't have kids, and this couple has 27 of them. I just don't think a pastor ought to say that. Well, I'm sorry. I just question things sometimes. I, I, I don't understand things. When I get a call from a lady and she comes home and her husband's cleaned out the checking account and he's split and left her with all the kids and no hope for the future, I don't understand why God allows that type of stuff to happen. And there's times in my life that I question God. When I see bad things happen to what I determine is good people, I just don't understand sometimes. And the human side of me comes out, even though I know God is good and I know God is in control and I know all things work out together for those that love the Lord, I just question God sometimes. When all these things are going on horrible in our society and it just seems like it's a crazy time to be living, there's just times I question God. There's just times I don't understand what he's doing, and I have doubts. Oh, it feels good to get that off my chest. Now, some of you are probably thinking, man, it makes me wonder if you should be my pastor. I don't get that. I'm sorry. I, I don't know anything else to do but be honest with you. <laughs> when I went into Bible college, I thought Bible college would solidify my faith. I thought all the doubts I had would be answered 100% in the classroom. And actually, Bible college made me doubt my faith more than ever. More than ever. It's like the computers are rebooting. When the computers reboot right in the middle of my sermon, I question God. <laughs> Just being honest with you. When the computer crashes like three months ago, and we spend all the money to buy brand new stuff, and it dies in the middle of the service, like every week, I question God. Hey, God, what's up? Did you just want us to go back to PowerPoint? I don't get it. <laughs> Bible college just made me dead because here's why I'm going to be honest with you I'd go to Bible college and I'd see all these idiots in the classroom that were going into ministry and I thought if God called these people to ministry I got to doubt God just being honest with you like these guys would stay after school for hours and debate what we had learned that day, and they, hey, Gary, do you want to sit around and just uh, debate about the justification and propitiation of our sins and how Christ paid it? I'm like, no. I'm going to go back home to my roommates who, one of them's 
strung out on drugs. The other one's probably drunk right now. And I'm going to try to lead them to Jesus. That's just the way I was wired. I, I don't want to sit around and discuss theology all day. Dare I say I want to take action. So Bible college just made me doubt so much. There was this group at college, and I lovingly called them the Christian Nazis. Man, like, they were really big on, like, what you wore and, like, what Bible you read out of and what side of your head your hair was parted on. I, like, I think I've told you this story before. Like, we had to wear suits and ties to college every day. I went to a very strict Bible college. I know that seems really crazy. And, um, but the Bible college met in the church that I worked on where the pastor got leukemia. And so I was kind of running the church at that time. And so I just got to do whatever I wanted to in Bible college. So, like, it was cool. And, um, but, like, you had to wear a suit and tie. And, like, one time I wore a suit and tie and a blue dress shirt. Have I told you the story? And they cornered me and told me they thought I was getting liberal. I'm like, huh? Brother, where's your white shirt? That shows professionalism. And I was like, well, I'm 20 years old and I'm broken. This was $6.99 at JCPenney's. Like, man, like, sorry. Like, they, they were the Christian Nazis, man. <laughs> I remember, though, thinking to myself, these men will never change the world, ever. So I got bored this week. And I tried to think about as many of them as I could, and I came up with 17 names that I went to Bible college with, and I wrote them down. And Facebook is an amazing thing. And I found all 17 of them. Of the 17 people, I found 15 of them are no longer in ministry. And the two that are in ministry are in crazy ministries that would make you want to have nothing to do with anything with Jesus. Matter of fact, one of them would probably be outside boycotting our church. And um, I just chuckled to myself a little bit. Because I thought to myself, man, these Christian Nazis with all their legalism and all their rules and all their religion never got that it was about a relationship. And in relationships, there's times you doubt. There's going to be times as a parent you doubt whether your 17-year-old kid is ever going to be able to tie their own shoe, much less function in society. In marriage, there's going to be times you doubt and say, man, did I marry the right person or is this person going to kill me in my sleep? No matter what career path you take, there's going to be, wow, that really, there's like clapping on that. Like a lot of people at Action Church are worried about their spouse killing them. Know what the next series is going to be about. Wow. Like sometimes I can't even get like a reaction from you. I talk about your wife killing you and you're like, yeah, praise God. Make sure everybody knows I said it was her. <laughs> Man. There's times I doubt God. And like I've said, I understand God is in control of everything. I, I want to stress that to you over and over. But the human side of me doubts at times. <laughs> I, I, I understand that it's all about a relationship, not religion, but in that relationship... There's just times I don't understand what God's thinking. I know his ways are bigger than my ways, and his thoughts are not my thoughts. But the control freak in me, I know you find that surprising. It's like, God, I don't know if I'd do that if I was God. Like, but if I was God, I'd also do a lot of other things, like zap people dead from heaven. Right with my finger. 
Like my finger would just zap people. Matter of fact, I got a list right now of people. I got a buddy of mine who's got cancer and he's not long for the world, and I got a list for him. I mean, that's just the way I'm wired. Hey, before you go, man, I got some people I need you to take out. So you can just imagine what I'd be like if I was God. Just times I I've learned that one of the biggest things in my growth, don't miss this, has been learning to believe God instead of believing in God. I'm learning to believe God instead of believing in God. For example, I believe in airplanes. I've seen airplanes. I have flown in airplanes. I don't like it. I feel like if God wanted us to fly, he'd give us wings. But I believe in them. However, I believe airplanes exist, but I do not believe that a metal tube is the best way for me to get to point A to point B without crashing and dying. So I believe airplanes. I do not believe in them. I have no confidence in them. I have to take all kinds of sleeping pills before I get on. I about hyperventilate. And there's germs all in there. They freak me out. It's heavy. It weighs a lot. Why should it fly through the air? What if the tire blows up while it's landing? Like, that's just not how I want to die. So I believe airplanes. I just don't believe in airplanes, you know. And, and that's the way with God. A lot of people believe God. Let me rephrase that. A lot of people believe in God. They believe God exists. They believe God is good. But at the end of the day, they don't believe God. They don't believe God at the end of the day when they don't understand what's going to go on is going to make sure everything works out to his good. Even the demons believe in God. The Bible says this in James 2, you believe there's one God good. That's smart. That's smart. I'm trying not to cuss anymore. That's smart alecism. Okay? Good. Woo, good. You believe there's a God. Even the demons believe that. They shudder. Even the believe, demons believe in God, but, but they don't believe God. They, they don't believe that God has the power to do what he says he can do. Even as there's a pastor, I, I get caught up in this trap. Sometimes I believe in God. I've seen him work way too much. But when I don't understand things, I, I, I stop believing God is in control. And the fact is, most of us are in the same spot. We believe in God. Eighty-something percent of our country says they believe in God. But their actions will show you that they don't believe God. Because if they believed God, their lifestyle would be different. Their morals would be different. Their convictions would be different. I'm not saying they would be what the conservative right wing says they should be. Let me just throw that out to you. I'm just saying they'd be different. They'd love different. They'd treat people different. They'd worship different. We believe God makes our lives better. We believe we ought to go to church. We believe our kids ought to grow up with the knowledge of church. But we really don't believe God is in control. God fitting our niche is good, but we don't believe God is good. I recently read something that clicked with me, and it said there's three types of people regarding believing in God. 
and this would look really cool if it was up on the screen. And because um, the first the first line would shoot in, and it would be like the first one is the casual believer, the casual. Bird. Now my mic's dying. It's gonna be a good day. The casual believers, what I refer to as the C and E's. You see them on Christmas and Easter. You know. That's why I do a two-part series every year. That way, the people who come on Christmas don't miss out on Easter. They still know what's going on. You know, you know th- these people, man, all of a sudden they get real spiritual around Thanksgiving. I think you should pray over the Thanksgiving dinner, but you don't pray the rest of the year, so who cares? Dare I say the casual Christian loves to put on airs. The person that was dogging me on Facebook this week or dogging our sermon, like, doesn't even go to church anywhere. Like, struggles with addiction, and that's okay, I- I'm cool with that. But, like, it's funny that all of a sudden when it came to not liking how we worded something, because he really didn't care how we worded something. He was just mad about something else that really didn't have anything to do with them because their life gets so boring they stick their nose in something that doesn't pertain to them. But the casual Christian in him, he came out and he knew everything about God all of a sudden. That casual believer. (laughs) These people don't allow God to control their lives. God's an afterthought. God is only a thought when everything's going wrong and they throw it up a face. Somebody pray. Now, I haven't prayed in nine months, but Granny's sick now, and I need you to pray. You know, the most sincere prayer these type people pray are, you know, the hangover prayers. And don't get me wrong, the hangover prayers are some some sincere prayers. I have hugged a commode praying some of the most heartfelt prayers I have ever prayed in my life. I'm talking about tears rolling down my face prayers. God, please, I will never drink again. Please, God, for the love of God. Get me through this. It's been a long time since I've been like that, like three weeks. But those are some sincere prayers. The casual believer. Then there's the convenient believer. That would look really cool because if it was on the screen, it would come right out of the casual. And you'd be like, oh, look at Gary. He used two C's. He's like Johnny Hunt at First Baptist and everything started with the same letter. It's the Baptist in me. So just, just picture it with me, if you will, the convenient believer. This is the Christian who's a believer when it's easy, and it benefits them. Hey, this is, the, this, is, this is the believer that they think, if I put a Jesus fish on my work truck, people are going to hire me. You know, this is the, the believer who says, man, I'm going to go to this, this church over here because there's a lot of people that go there, and it'll be a great place to network and build my business. The convenient believer, it benefits me, you know. And, and then there's the committed believer, I, t- man, I told you, Johnny would be proud. Like, when I was in Bible college, they told you all your points need to start the same letter they need to rhyme. Like, I- I'm talking about, see, just picture it up there. It's a beautiful graphics, it's pastoral confessions. And it says the casual believer, and it says the convenient believer. And then another C would fly, and you'd be like, God, guys, so good. Look, they all start with the same letter I can remember, because it'd be the committed believer. This is the person who's moved from believing in God to believing God. When they don't understand what's going on, they're believing God and they're trusting God. And this is exactly what God's looking for. He's looking for people who won't waver in their faith just because everyone around them has. They're looking for someone who says, man, I'm so committed to God that even though I doubt and even though I don't understand, I still believe God and I believe it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know when it's going to work out. I don't know where it's going to work out. I cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I just noticed, by the way? The countdown timer's out, too, so we're going to be here for like three hours. <laughs> I hope your crock pot's on low. And by the way, this watch, if 
Do y'all think it works? Y'all know the drill around here. If you're new to Action Church, I only wear watches because I like them. So the batteries die in them and none of them work. So like they don't remotely work. This one hasn't worked in like four years. So we're just going to go as long as the Holy Spirit says. Casual believer, the convenient believer, the committed believer. The committed believer says, I don't understand everything that's going on, but I'm committed to Jesus. So the question becomes, what type of faith do you have? Pictured up here on the screen. Are you the casual believer? Are you the convenient believer? Are you the committed believer? Aren't you glad they all start with the same letter so you can remember them? I know what they were doing in Bible college. I failed preaching 101, by the way. That's why I don't do that a lot. But uh, which, which one are you? In the New Testament, there was this guy named Thomas. Now, Thomas was one of the 12. So that's a big deal. You say, what's one of the 12? He was one of the 12 people who Jesus chose to do life with. So Jesus had hundreds of followers. He had thousands of followers. He had hundreds of people who were committed and thousands of people who followed him everywhere he went to, but he had 12 who were ride or die. 12 people he rolled with, 12 people who ate with him, and they, they bumped down with him, and they were there in the good times, and they were there in the bad times, and they saw firsthand the miracles of Jesus. Thomas was one of those. He was one of the 12. If anybody should have had the faith to never question God, it should have been Thomas, in my opinion. Yet he has a nickname, and it's Doubting Thomas. Thomas was one of the 12 closest men to Jesus. Think about this for a moment. He saw Jesus perform every miracle he ever performed. I want you to think about something. One of those miracles was taking dead people and bringing them back to life. I don't know about you, but that would impress me. I'm not impressed very easily. You roll up in here, you roll up into Darby Funeral Home, and you're like, hey, that dude's dead. And they get up, I'm all in with you. Where are we going? I'm stepping down from Action Church. I'm committing. I, 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 we, I'm coming home. I'm telling Christine, load the kids up. We are following this dude who just took that dead person and brought him back to life. Where are they going? I don't care where they're going. But what if they go to, like, some foreign country where there's no running water in us? I don't care. They took dead people, and they brought them back to life. That means if I die, they can do the same thing to me, and I can live forever here on earth. Like, I'm down with that. Thomas saw that happen. He saw all the miracles. Yet Thomas struggled with doubt. Now, on one hand, I don't understand why Thomas would struggle. But on the other hand, i got to be real honest with you today, it encourages me a little bit. When I start to feel guilty about the fact that I struggle sometimes, when I start to feel bad about doubting God, I'm like, wait a minute, Thomas doubted God. He saw and bring dead people back to life, and yet he still questioned God at times. The man who walked with Christ, ate with Christ, was told by Christ, still at times doubted Christ. Thomas was probably a fisherman. Jesus told him to follow him. He laid down his nets. He followed him. He left everything to follow Jesus. He was all in. He was sold out. He was all out for the cause of Christ. He was as committed as you can be, but he doubted. 
After teaching the disciples for three years, Jesus gives his life on the cross for the sins of the world. Man, that's good news for us. He dies. He raises from the grave three days later. And after he arose from the grave, something we don't talk about a lot. I don't know why. Maybe we should talk about it. Jesus walked the earth for 40 days before returning to heaven. He was teaching and preparing the remaining disciples. Remember, there was 12. Now there's 11. Judas screwed up. Judas is gone. There's 11. And he taught the remaining disciples what would be their mission once he returned to heaven. Word quickly begins to spread that Jesus is alive. I don't know about you, but if someone's dead, they come back alive, pretty sure word's going to spread. I like to think if I died here in town, there's a lot of people that be like, yes, please. And then I rose from the grave, and I'm walking around Canton. I'm eating at R&M, going to the Baptist shack to get me an omelet. Thinking, I thought that joker was dead. And now he's walking around town? Like, I, I, someone will be, be Facebooking it. Somebody, yeah, he never died to begin with. He's such a fake, <laughs> you know. But the word spread. And so what happens is the word spreads, and the followers begin to get back together. Common sense. Check it out. I told you it looked good. <laughs> Everybody gets back together. Except Thomas at first. I believe Thomas wanted to believe it was happening. I believe he wanted to get excited about what was about to take place, but he doubted. He said, I got to see the nail scars in his hands before I believe this is true. He said, when I can stick my finger in the nail holes in his hands, I'll believe. He, He just couldn't accept that Jesus was back on the scene. I believe he wanted to be excited, but he had doubts about the situation. He was one of the 12, even though he'd seen all the miracles. If anybody should have been believing, it should have been these men. Thomas said, I got to see it to believe it. And I've heard preachers get up and rail on Thomas for years and talk about how he doubted and how he didn't have faith. And I look at it just the opposite way because I, I believe sincere, honest doubts can be a huge positive instead of a negative. For so long, the church had this mindset that you don't question anything. You just accept what we say because we say it. Hogwash. Not trying to offend any of you, but that's what the Catholic Church did for years. We say it, you believe it, don't question it. No, no, you question anything I say. You get in this book, and you read it, and you question it, because again, I'm not perfect. Very well, I could be wrong. It's okay to have doubts because as you begin to grow and you begin to try to find out about your doubts and find resolution to your doubts, what it's going to do is it's going to strengthen your faith. It's okay to have doubts. The church says you shouldn't. The church says if you have doubts about things, you must not love Jesus. No, I say, man, it's okay. If you love Jesus, you're still going to have doubts. It makes you normal. It's okay. It's okay to have doubts. I have doubts. Instead of fighting our doubts, we need to learn to see the blessing in our doubts. So we're going to do today is real quickly, and we're going to get out of here. We're going to look at Thomas. And I want to show you the scenario that Thomas went through. And I want to show you how Jesus responded to Thomas's doubts. The first thing I want you to notice is Thomas was honest about his doubts. 
Thomas was honest about his doubt. I joke around a lot about this around here, but I need you to know something. I joke, but I believe it's true. I believe the least honest place in this city is every Sunday morning in churches. I do. I believe the church is full of people who are fake and playing a game. They're putting on their mask, and they're acting like they have it all together. They're looking like they're the perfect family who have no struggles because they live in fear of what other people will think about them. What a shame. The place that ought to be safe, where we ought to be able to be real, where we ought to be able to throw it all out on the line, we're too afraid to say we have doubts because if we say we have doubts, God forbid people will judge us for it. Christians are great liars. We are. We don't lie in the sense that you think about lying, but we lie by letting the world think, man, everything's perfect. When our world's falling apart, then we wonder why we can't get through this dark period. You can't get through the dark period because no one knows about the dark period to help you get through the dark period. Remember, so we've got to confess our faults to one another. We can pray for them so we can be healed. Remember the whole thing we talked about at the beginning? All around our city today, churches are filled with people acting, acting like they have it together. They don't feel they can be real enough to tell other people that they go to church with that they're struggling. Someone asked me one time, they said, how do you deal with wrestling? It's so fake. I said, I've been dealing with church for 20 years. Wrestling's easy. It's scripted. This is fake. The Bible says this in John. Look what it says about Thomas. To the other disciples... The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Hey, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He's back. We've seen him with our... This isn't key to me. Not that we heard he's alive. We've seen that he's alive. This was his boys right here. Hey, Thomas, we've seen him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, because remember they poked him in the side, I will not believe. One of the 12, the other 12 will roll up saying, we've seen JC, man, he is alive. And Thomas said, I don't believe you. Till I see it with these eyes, and even when I see it with these eyes, that's not good enough. I need to take this finger and stick it into his wounds. I need to know that it's him. I need to know that it's the Jesus I saw die before I'll believe. I, I got to be honest. I get why the preacher, well, no, let me rephrase that. I got for years why the preachers got up and doubted him and questioned his faith. But I got to be honest with you, I love his honesty. Everyone's running all around excited that Jesus is back. And Thomas says, I'll believe it <coughs> when I see it. When I can stick my finger in the wounds. I'll believe it. Thank God for somebody who was honest. Thank God for somebody who was struggling. I find this really refreshing as I read it. Thomas didn't care that people looked down on him. He, he, he was more down with wanting to see it. He had to see it to believe it. Thank God for his honesty. Thomas realized that this was a huge deal. He realized that if Jesus had done what he said he was going to do, which is raised from the grave, this was a game changer and the world would never be the same. 
He realized that Jesus had done what he said he was going to do. Then Thomas realized, man, if this is true, I'm about to be all in for the cause of Christ. And before I go all in, I got to know. I can't go all in with doubt. I got to see it for myself. I bet Thomas had already returned to fishing. And he knew he was about to leave them again and go out for the cause of Christ. And before he left and did all that and laid it all on the line, he had to know. If there's ever a situation in my life where I feel like I got to step out and go do something, I'm just one of those people I got to know. I research and I analyze it. I want to know the trends and I want to know this. And it's not that I don't have faith, but I just want to know what I'm stepping out into. Thomas is one of these people. For years, I lived my life believing what the pastor told me. Now remember, I don't know how many of these I've shared the story. I gave my life to Christ in a very strict, it was called an independent fundamental Baptist church. So I'm wild, I'm hellion, I give my life to Christ, and the preacher gets up and he preaches all this stuff. He preached against everything that moved. And so over the longest time, and I thought women couldn't wear pants, and yet you couldn't listen to music that wasn't at least 30 years old, and if you had a sip of beer, you were going to die and go to hell. And um, then I had all these, couldn't go to the movie theater, it was all these men, and I believed every one of them. Until I became a pastor in a college town, and these stupid college kids begin to ask the worst question ever, but why? I mean, they weren't being defiant. They weren't being rebellious. Man, if that's what you say faith is, we're all in. But why? And I couldn't give them answers. Because I'd never taken the time to study it out of my own. I was like, my pastor said so. But why? You say this book's truth. Where's it at in that? It took me into a dark period. It took me into a period of studying and learning and a time of doubting. And through that doubting, my faith became stronger than ever, though my views changed. Now the problem is I'm smoking what I'm selling. I believe it with everything that is in me because my doubts strengthened my faith. But I had to get honest with my doubts for that to happen. I had to get to the point where my beliefs, don't miss this, were my beliefs and not what I'd been taught. Those beliefs came from my doubt. I began to study. I told you this story. I began to transform the way I did church and thought, man, the church is not left here for insiders. It's left here for outsiders. And I told you, I started a church in Iowa. It had grown to about two, 300 people, which was a big deal in Iowa. And I stood up one Sunday because I was young and stupid and idiot and thought everybody would be down with what I had been studying. And I said, here's what we're going to start doing at church and blah, 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 blah. And the church went from 300 to 30 in like five weeks. That's okay, though. You know my philosophy in that, too. We're the body of Christ. We all have a part. Sometimes the body has to have a bowel movement. You have to get rid of some people. And we got rid of some people. And we got refocused on the vision. And for the first time ever, I began to preach out of conviction and be- preach out of faith instead of preaching what I'd been taught and didn't believe. And the church grew great. I Googled that church this last week, and they're still thriving. Just bought 40 acres of land on the outskirts of town and built this huge building. And I always joke, the best thing that could ever happen in churches is I leave. A triple, quadruple in size once I leave. Still set the standard of what was going on there. Thomas wasn't willing to settle for secondhand words. He had to see it for himself. I, I, I see bumper stickers that say, God says it, I believe it. 
And, and I wish that that could be me. But my faith doesn't work like that. I have to dig into it. I got to make sure, man, is this what God said? Or is this what so-and-so said? Is this what the two-second clip of Stephen Furtick on Facebook said? Or is this what the Bible says? I'm not dogging Stephen Furtick. I love him. I'm just simply saying, it's easy to look good in a two-second clip. I got to know the truth. Until you get honest with your doubts, you're never going to find answers. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. If you've had a pastor that's told you opposite, on behalf of pastors everywhere, I apologize. I'm sorry that they were so insecure in their leadership they thought they had to have blind minions follow them who believed everything they said and every way they said it. I always love Lisa Hawkins. Sometimes she's a little rough around the edges. But she'll tell you, I don't believe everything Gary says. But I love him. Good. I don't want her to believe everything I say. I want her to have her faith. I want her to know why she believes what she believes. And here's the deal. The issues that we don't agree on, which I don't even know what they are, and she's wrong because I'm always right. I'm just kidding. I guarantee you they're so minuscule, it don't matter. We love to major on the minors in the church. I think we're going to get to heaven and find out we were all wrong on a lot of things. Thomas was honest. Now, don't miss this. It's not enough to be honest. Thomas went after answers. It's okay to doubt. It's not okay not to start growing and figuring out how to answer those doubts. If the Holy Spirit of God is causing you to doubt something, you need to go after answers. You need to begin to get in the words. You need to begin to study. You need to be able to do what you need to do to get the peace that passes all understanding in your life where you stand in your convictions. Because if we don't, listen, we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. Ain't that what Aaron Tippin said? The great theologian, country singer Aaron Tippins. Okay, Thomas would have to answers. A week later, Thomas has been doubting for a week now. He said, when I see him, I'll believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, I like Jesus. Jesus didn't pull any punches. Because he's Jesus. First time he's seen Thomas, but he knew what Thomas was saying. He knows what you're doing. He knows your doubts. He already knows. Look at Thomas and say, hey, put your finger here. I know you've been doubting, sucker. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus, man, he was a player. He said, hey. Let's just cut to the chase. Thomas, I know you've been doubting. It's cool. I saw it on Facebook. Come check it out. The scar's there. It's me. You remember? It's me. Remember? I know what you did. Remember that day? I, I saw you do that. No one else knows about it but me. Tom's like, oh, it is you. You know? Thomas didn't just stop with his doubts. The doubts fueled his actions for the truth. I said his doubts fueled his actions for the truth. He searched for the answers. 
The Bible says this took a place a week later. A week later, Thomas is still doubting. <laughs> Love people who doubt. But when you doubt, you've got to search for the answers. So many people walk away just because they have doubts, and they've never taken the time to figure out what the answers are to those doubts. So many people have doubts, but so few are willing to do the work necessary to settle their doubts. I can't rid you of your doubts. You have to be willing to find out the answers. <laughs> when I first became a pastor, i got to be honest with you, I really struggled with injustice. It was a big deal to me. I didn't understand how things like a drunk driver hitting a family and the children being killed and the dr drunk driver living happened. I told you, I didn't understand how great couples who, who couldn't have kids couldn't have kids, but this person could have kids. It just didn't seem fair to me. I struggled with those doubts. I doubted a lot, and I began to ask why these things would happen. But, but I didn't just stop with asking. I wanted answers. I began to read my Bible. What a novel concept. I'm telling you, I don't care if you believe there's a God. The answers to whatever you're asking are in this book. This book is alive with truth. And whatever you're struggling in, whatever doubt you're having, I'm telling you the answer's in this, but you got to get in it. So many people never even open the book and they don't read the book. The answers to your questions are in this book. You'd rather doubt your whole life than find out the answer. Go get around somebody who's been there, done that, overcome that, and ask them about their journey. Man. Here's what I found out about as I read this book. This is going to rock some of your world. But nowhere in this book does it say we serve a fair God. He's a just God. He's not a fair God. There's some things in life that happen that just aren't fair. We live in a sinful world with sinful people that do sinful things. And sometimes unfair things happen. And i got to be real honest with you. We should be glad he's not fair. Because I don't want him to be fair to me. I don't want what I deserve. Let me repeat that again. I don't want a fair God. I don't want what I deserve. We love to point out the people and say, well, they deserve this and that. Oh, my gosh, I deserve so much worse. I've done some horrible things in my life. I've done some cold-hearted, mean things in my life. I have done some things that would shock you in my life. Oh, BTW, so of you, so don't act all holy. I'm a good person. No, you're not. The Bible says for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There's nobody here that is perfect. And what is good? When you can give me a definition of good, maybe then we'll have a measuring stick on whether or not you're good. The Bible says we're all screw up. We're all sinners. We're all island of misfit toys. If God was fair, I'd bust open the gates of hell. God isn't fair, he's just. I deserve death, but in his grace, he gave me new life. Bible says in Psalms 103, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad God doesn't repay according to our screw-ups? They ought to pay. Oh my gosh, how many times in my life should I have paid? 
If we got what we deserved, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> you know how God began to reveal this to me? It's real simple. I sought out the answers. I had doubts, and I didn't just sit there and wallow in my doubts. I began to study and seek out the answers. Doubting without pursuing truth is worthless. Doubting without pursuing truth is worthless. Get around people who are farther along on the track than you. I got to get out of here. Lastly, Jesus gave what Thomas gave Thomas what his faith needed. Xander, you know I messed that up in my notes and you fixed it up there. I love you, boy. Makes sense on there. Don't make sense here. Jesus gave Thomas what his faith needed. I love this because it shows the heart of God about our doubts. If I had been God, you know what I'd have done? Really? You don't remember that time I turned that water into wine? You don't remember that time that, that guy had that disease and I touched him and it went away? You don't remember that time the guy was dead and I brought him back to life and now you're questioning me? Mm, I'd have gave him the pent hand. That's just I'm saying if I was God. I probably wouldn't have been a good God. But our God was a loving God, caring God. And he came in and he saw Thomas and he gave Thomas exactly what he needed. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. I'm giving you what you need. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. He said, blessed are those who've not seen and have believed. Thomas was doubting. Thomas pursued truth for his doubts. And God met him and squelched his doubts. It's okay to go through periods where you doubt God. From this moment on, Thomas's life was changed. His doubts were answered. He began to live his life spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He began to live his life spreading the message. He started churches all over the world. He gave his life to Christ. Why? Because he had doubts and he was honest about them. Quit being a fake. It's okay to have doubts. I have doubts. But seek truth for those doubts. And watch Jesus meet you right where you need him to meet you. 